Welcome to Still Becoming, a podcast about how it's never too late to become more free, more yourself, or try something new. I'm Monica DiCristina, a wife, mother, and practicing psychotherapist. Through my own struggles with my anxiety years ago that led to my professional work as a therapist now, I am fascinated by the process of how we become who we are. We will explore the topics of becoming, of unbecoming, and overcoming through interviews, unpacking mental health topics, and stories. You are not designed to stay the same. Your story is still being written. We are all still becoming. This is a short mental health check-in all about your inner critic and why your inner critic is wrong and how we know that. Now, I am on my fourth or maybe 10th, I don't know, iteration of this intro because I knocked my water bottle over because I have a dog at my feet who is cuddling with a llama slash unicorn rainbow colored, of course, that does not belong to the dog. It belongs to a child. There's so many different things happening all at once, and we can either process them in love or we can process them through the inner critic. Right now, I'm choosing love. I have a lot going on, just like you have a lot going on. My house is hardly ever quiet still in these pandemic days, and maybe you can relate to that. We're going to look today at what the inner critic is, how we know it's not a valuable source of information, and then what in the world do we do with our inner critic? When I'm working in sessions with clients, sometimes I'll say to a client something like, I feel the desire to defend you from that inner critic statement because it's not fair, it's not true, and it's not loving. And my hope is that as you walk away from this short episode, you would feel the same freedom and help to be able to say to your inner critic, you are not based in reality, you're not fair, and you're not loving, and I'm not listening. So let's dive in. Okay, so as I always say in these mental health check-ins, this is no substitute for therapy. So if anything that I say in this short episode is upsetting or um, you want to dive more into, my heartfelt suggestion would be that you find a therapist to work through this with because some of this content could bring up big feelings. So what is your inner critic? Your inner critic, some people call it the voice, um, is just all the white noise of criticisms, shameful feelings, shameful thoughts that come for you really at any time of the day. One of the ways that I help clients to identify this is I say, you know that moment back in the days when we would do things, when you were driving home maybe from a dinner out with friends or a dinner out with a new group of people, or you hang up from a Zoom call now that is a work meeting or something you're excited about. Those doubts that start to come for you, those are some of your inner critic. The thoughts like, I'm too much, I'm not enough. Why did I say that? What are they going to think of me? And part of what we're going to do here is we're going to start to look at how we can recognize that voice more and more rather than it just being the automatic white noise. You know, like a white noise machine. I don't know if you use those. We swear by those in our house. Once you start to notice it's on, gosh, it's all you can hear. 
But when you forget it's there, you don't even know that the background of your life has this whooshing, whirring sound. It's the same way with our inner critic. We want to be able to spot it so that we don't believe it. Okay, so how do we know that your inner critic is wrong? It's because your inner critic was created. Your inner critic was created not out of love and not when you came into this world. You came into this world without an inner critic. Now, some people, there's different psychological theories and all the things. We're not going to dive into that. This is going to be applicable in real life. But for our work today, when you think about your inner critic, it was created from someone else's unresolved pain or dysfunction. So if you had a raging parent or a parent that was just really um, unpredictable in how they um, cared for you or whether they approved of you or not, you would create an inner critic that sounds a lot like that parent. If you had a bully at school or a really, really tough coach or teacher that um, was unfair and unloving and saw things about you that were never true, you will start to internalize that. So the first reason we know your inner critic is not a valuable source of information, it's because it's based on someone else's unresolved pain. Have you ever heard that statement, hurt people, hurt people? Well, that's true. And all of us have been hurt. And that goes into the inner critic. And I'll explain why in a minute. But hurt and pain and dysfunction, although real and the suffering is real and we all experience it, they are not a well of truth. They are not where we want to get the truth about who we are from. And if we had someone in our lives, either in our home or outside of our home, or multiple people who were hurting us out of their hurt, sometimes we might internalize their voice or parts of their voice. Sometimes when I hear a client describing their own selves in a very negative way, I might ask something like, whose voice is that? Who told you that the first time? Where did you first hear that? And oftentimes they might remember who was the first person to say such a critical thing about them. We sometimes internalize that. So let's think of an example. If you grew up with a parent who you desperately wanted to please, you desperately wanted them to just think that you were special, to just even be curious and loving towards you, but they weren't. Maybe they were too busy with their own pain and addiction and dysfunction. Maybe they were um, wrapped up in trying to make you be what they never were. Maybe they were wrapped up in trying to earn a living for the family and they just had no other energy to give you as a child. Whatever the case, you might have concluded that I need to make sure that I am perfect, the most presentable, get everything right in order to get this parent's approval. In order to get the light of your parent's face to shine upon you, you might have created some pretty strong internal rules about what is okay and what is not okay for you to do. And that gets us to the next part of the internal critic. Your internal critic, ironically, was created to protect you from ever feeling pain. So again, I know that sounds counterintuitive because it causes us so much pain, doesn't it? 
those shameful thoughts or that I'm not enough or I'm too much this or I don't look the way I should look or I don't talk the way I should talk. Those voices actually were created to protect us from pain because we've all experienced pain, haven't we? I don't know your story as you listen, but I would guess, having worked with many different people, that you have experienced a lot of different pain. And so then what your inner critic does is it says, okay, I have a plan. In order to keep you from ever feeling that horrible feeling of rejection again, like back to that example of that parent who, for their own issues or their own lack of time or their own just... um depression, don't have the energy to give you any attention, you know, to never feel that rejection or neglect again, you better make sure that you are the most perfect and have the most presentable things and that you have the best news to tell everyone all the time about yourself. You certainly don't have any room to be human because that could cause pain. If you were rejected in social circles growing up or as an adult, Your inner critic will try to say, don't do that. Remember, when you did that thing, you experienced pain. So you must never, never make a mistake like that again. And what happens is that your inner critic then creates this set of rules and this way of criticizing you in order to help you not feel pain again. But the thing is, remember what we just talked about is that your inner critic is based on dysfunction. Whether it's the dysfunction of society or the dysfunction and pain of an individual person or group, it's not based on truth. And so we want to recognize with compassion that this inner critic was created to protect you, but it's not the truth about you. Before we talk about how we're going to engage with our inner critic, I want to make sure to name a couple of things that I hear a lot. Your inner critic is not your intuition. It's not your gut. It's um, very confusing, isn't it, sometimes? When you fear something, you think, is this, should I be listening to this? How we know often is that your gut and your instincts and your intuition, or if you are someone who has a relationship spiritually, you know, that feeling like you're hearing that still small voice, that doesn't come with shame. That doesn't come with confusion. That doesn't come with an overarching feeling that you're not enough or there'll never be enough. Those are signs of an inner critic. Your gut and your intuition don't sound like that. They don't sound like that at all. Another thing I hear often is that, gosh, if I don't listen to my inner critic, then I will be totally out of control. It is not uncommon to fear that if you don't have your inner critic as a motivator, you will just lay on the couch and do nothing. Now, I know that some of us have harvested our inner critic as a anxiety motivator, but the reality is that you will get a lot further without listening to this inner critic. We know that shame is a terrible motivator for real behavioral change, and we know that it makes you feel awful. And so for those of us that have been afraid, without my internal critic, what will I do? The antidote for that is that we're going to learn to trust ourselves more. The antidote for worrying about letting your inner critic take a break is that you will learn to trust yourself. And with each thing that we are practicing in our life, whether it's the inner critic or learning to trust ourselves or whatever it is, practice makes progress. The more we practice it, 
the more we'll believe ourselves and the better we'll understand how to do that. Now, before we wrap this episode up, I want us to talk about what do we do with this inner critic? One of the things that I like to talk a lot about is that progress or quote unquote healing or even quote unquote mental health are not an absence of issues. They're not an absence of anxiety or hard days. They're not even an absence of your inner critic. What they are is a change in your relationship to your inner critic. As you begin to listen for this inner critic, knowing that it's not based on truth, your relationship and the validity to the inner critic that you give to the inner critic will change. So it's really important that we know that you, quote unquote, doing better doesn't mean you won't have thoughts like this. It means your relationship to those thoughts will change. You're not going to buy them hook, line, and sinker. I don't know if that's the right saying. I think it is, but we'll go with it. So what are some important things to know about changing this relationship with your inner critic? Well, one of my favorite quotes, I think, sums it up well. Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, if you haven't read that, it is um, one of the most profound books I've ever read, side note. But Viktor Frankl says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. So what we want to start to do is to create space. Again, it doesn't mean the inner critic's not going to happen, but we're creating space by recognizing that where I begin as a person, as a soul, Monica, who I am, is separate from the inner critic. Once I start to create that space, then I can have choices. Do I want to believe the inner critic today that I'm just not good enough and I'm not organized enough and this will never work? Or do I want to have a little bit more pushback? Yes, inner critic, I see you. You're right on time. Anytime I'm taking a risk, you come here and doubt me. But thank you. I don't need your help anymore because I've learned to trust myself and I've learned that I am loved and I've learned that I'm good enough. You see how once we start to create that space, we can create choices. Another way I like to think of it, now this is going to really date me, but if you ever went to the mall in middle school, which I did, which is very exciting in middle school, there used to be all these kiosk stands. And I haven't been to a mall in a year, so I don't know, maybe this is still happening. But at the kiosk stands when I was in middle school, there were these really cool posters that were all one pattern. And the pattern, you would stare at it, almost letting your eyes kind of relax or cross over each other, and you would see a three-dimensional pattern come out. Does anyone remember those? I loved those posters. I thought they were so cool. And of course, I loved the ones with dolphins on them because that's what I was into. But, you know, seeing our inner critic is very much similar to that. It's we start to, in this pattern, we start to be able to see things come out of the pattern. We see the three-dimensional thing. Sometimes we can think of it like seeing the matrix. We see, oh, this is what's happening instead of just believing it the whole time. So we really want to start to train our eyes to see and hear the inner critic, not just as how we should automatically feel, but as something that is not truth-based or loving. And then we have a choice how we will respond. 
The last thing I want to say is that these strategies that you developed with an inner critic as a kid, the ones I developed, the ones everyone listening developed, everyone has it, they were a brilliant strategy. You needed those things. You needed your inner critic to be able to figure out the world. But you don't need it now because you're an adult, you know more, you have choices. And so it's really important. A lot of times what I will run into in therapy work is that someone's inner critic starts beating them up for having an inner critic. And that just creates a double amount of pain. If you have an inner critic, that just means you're normal like the rest of us. If you um, struggle with it, it just means you're normal like the rest of us. What we want to do is have compassion on you, but even compassion on the inner critic. Because remember, it was created to try to protect you from pain because you had painful experiences and you didn't ever want to experience them again. Of course you didn't. So your inner critic said, well, you better not be too much of that or too much of this. You better be more of that and more of this so that you'll finally get approval and feel loved or feel like you belong. But now... And in opposition to that, we can say that my source of who I am and who I am and as a loved person is not my inner critic. And you get to choose what that source is. And you get to learn to trust yourself. And you get to learn to trust your gut. And so you might have just heard full circle my dog moving on the ground with her rainbow llama unicorn as we wrap up this episode on your inner critic. To summarize, your inner critic is something that everyone has. It becomes so automatic that we don't notice it like a white noise machine. It's really important to start to notice it, but not only that, to realize that it's based on pain. It's based on other people's pain and our pain. And although our pain is very much valid, the inner critic is not a source of truth about our identity, our worthiness, and our lovability. And once we know that, we want to start to look for it and then start to separate ourselves that you exist apart from your inner critic. And once you know that, you can make decisions accordingly. As we wrap up this short episode on your inner critic, my hope is that this episode has strengthened the parts of you that believe your worth, that believe your lovability. There's lots of different ways to conceptualize the idea of an inner critic. I hope that this short episode will be one link in the chain for you creating more space and therefore more freedom to choose between what is true and what is not true. And that as you continue to choose what is true about you, that you would grow in the knowledge of your worth of your lovability, and of how much you matter. For more information, please visit monicadecristina.com where you can sign up for my regular newsletter or follow along on Instagram. You can find me at monicadecristina. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Still Becoming wherever you listen to podcasts if you like what you heard here today. This episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com.